Today is Thursday, August 10th, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. The Christian nurse and daughter kidnapped in Haiti and held for ransom. There is a major update on that story. We'll have that and more on today's podcast where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Subscribe and leave a rating and share it with a friend and email us. Quick Start Podcast at CBN. Org. It's Friday, Junior. Joining me now, as always, Billy Hallowell, Trey Gons Phillips. Gentlemen, how goes it? Well, I'm I'm living the dream, which I haven't said in a while, but I am. <laughs> yeah, it's a good Thursday. You know? There we go. Friday, Junior, one day away from being one day away from the weekend. That's just our positive <laughs> outlook on things. This is just how we look. Hopefully, you are having a fantastic week there in your neck of the woods, wherever that may be. But we have a lot to get to, as always, and... Starting on the focus story, guys. Yeah, so a pretty big country singer uh, has decided, well, he decided a little while ago to quit drinking, uh, and he's giving an update on how that's going, so we'll talk about that. All right, looking forward for that. Also on the main thing, a California school board president facing death threats after passing a parental rights policy. I mean, this was a very should-be basic thing, but incredible response from these radical activist parent types who were upset that parents should be notified by th- about certain things that their students are engaged in. But Billy's got that interview on the main thing. Looking forward to that. But first, we're going to get through the news here in 90 seconds. 13 Eritrean Christians have been released from prison after being falsely imprisoned for 10 years. This is according to the Voice of the Martyrs Christian Ministry. They said the prisoners included seven women and six men. And they were released after Voice of the Martyrs started an initiative and were praying for the release of these Christians. They called on all Christians in America and elsewhere to pray for the release of two Eritrean church leaders and provided information to help Christians contact the embassy there in Eritrea. And... Just six days after that prayer call went out, those 13 Christians were released. But uh, VOM's Todd Nettleton said, We thank the Lord for the freedom of these brothers and sisters, but don't stop praying. There are still more than 300 Christians in those prisons there. And the two pastors they were initially praying for were reportedly not among those released. Evacuations are underway across Hawaii's Big Island and Maui as unprecedented wildfires have damaged structures and prompted rescues, even had people jumping into the ocean to escape danger. And on Maui's west side, the 911 service is currently down. And an American nurse and her daughter who were kidnapped in Haiti nearly two weeks ago have been freed, according to a statement released from the nonprofit Christian ministry she worked for in Haiti. Those are just some of today's top headlines. You can check out those stories and more over at cbnnews.com. Guys, the news of this release in Haiti, welcome news because the captors were demanding a ransom of $1 million. And it had been 13 days since Alex Dorsonville and her child were held hostage in Port of Prince. And now the group that she works for, Elroy, said that they were praising God for an answered prayer, but asked that people not reach out for comment or anything because they still have a lot to process. Witnesses had reported they saw her working in the small brick clinic on the ministry's campus in Port-au-Prince when armed men kidnapped her on July 27th. I mean, 
good news there that they were released. Same thing with those Christians in Eritrea. But um, man, it's crazy the amounts of persecution Christians and others are facing around different parts of the globe. Yeah, it's really, I mean, lawlessness, right? And yeah. when you're dealing with lawlessness like this, you know, it's heartbreaking and it's, I think, sobering because you realize not everywhere is like America, right? A country like this that has a destabilized, you know, nation, you know, and the other thing that comes to mind, thinking about the fact that all of these days have passed, you know, what did she go through? What did her child go through? I think our prayers now need to shift from, obviously, they've been answered, she's been found. Now you need to pray for that recovery because there's a lot, as you were saying, that needs to be processed. And, you know, I can't even imagine what they went through, the amount of fear and, you know, God knows what else they face. So we got to be praying for her. Yeah, for sure. I think the the Holy Spirit is going to have to do a lot of work, right, to comfort them and uh to help carry them through this because like their life still goes on. I think that's the thing that we don't often realize with, um, with stories is, is we read a really big story and it's, it's alarming or concerning, or we have all of those feelings when we first read it. Uh, but then we move on with our day cause there's a lot going on in all of our lives. Uh, but for these people, they're living with that reality really for the rest of their life. So that's something that they're going to have to, as you said, Billy, learn to process and hopefully process with the Holy spirit because the Holy spirit is the only one who can really bring true comfort in this situation. But all that said, praise God that he, uh, he worked and he brought them out of captivity um, after that time where they were, where they were kidnapped, which I'm, it has to be terrifying. So yeah. yeah, praise God that they're safe now. Yeah, definitely. And we don't have details on how they were saved or how they were released. But if you remember, it was a couple of years ago that a group of Canadian and American missionaries were kidnapped in Haiti, but a dozen of them escaped captive. They, they escaped on their own. But then there were reports that they uh, had provided funds to pay a ransom. So you're dealing with these ransom demands. And like the general rule of thumb is you just you don't negotiate with terrorists who are trying to get these ransoms. But, you know, some people are saying, hey, wait a minute, if we can get the money, you know, like, let's just it's it's a really tough situation because you want to save the people. You don't want to just leave them hanging based on that principle. But then if you do pay it, well, now you're incentivizing these people to just keep doing the same thing if they know they're going to get paid. Yeah. And you've created a business essentially yes, for these people that they know is going to be viable, unfortunately. But yeah. if, I mean, an incredibly difficult moral dilemma because you're essentially sacrificing the people that are held hostage uh, right. through no fault of your own, but you're sacrificing them based on, you know, the future safety of other people. So incredibly difficult. And then who knows like what you guys were alluding to, what, actually happened to them in captivity. So definitely need to be praying for thanks that they were freed, but also for the trauma inflicted and also just the general chaos going on and people that may be still imprisoned and and not free. There's, there's a lot to be praying for uh, there. All right, we are going to head over to the focus story now and a popular country singer is opening up about his journey with sobriety. So who is it and what's he saying, Trey? Yeah, so Jake Owen, one of his most famous songs is uh, Barefoot Blue Jean Night, was on the radio a whole lot when it first came out and is at the top of a lot of country charts still or playlists still. So anyway, quite a a successful country singer. uh, And he just a few days ago announced that he is 689 days sober. 
Uh, He wrote on Instagram, 689 days ago, I made a decision. I've stuck to it and I'm really proud of myself. I was not at the point where I had a drinking problem. I was just being a jerk, essentially, uh, and being a person I didn't want to be. Uh, So he decided to give up alcohol and he said that his life is so much better uh, for it. He said, actually, quote, life is so much better uh, without alcohol. And he said, I just want to encourage any of you that might be considering quitting drinking that you should. Life is so much better. I sleep better. I feel better. I am better. He said, shoot, I'll be your supporter. I'll cheer you on. Uh, so quite an encouraging story for somebody who saw what he looked like when he was drinking, didn't like it and decided to make a change. Yeah. I mean, so many times you see people try essentially subconsciously it's been programmed in a society to use bad behavior and use an excuse for it as drinking. Well, I had too much to drink. Well, that's not an excuse because you put it in your body. But what led to and what sparked his decision to go ahead and stop drinking in the first place? Yeah, so he talked a little bit about that in this most recent statement, but he talked more uh, more openly or broadly about it last year when he first kind of spoke out about his decision to give up drinking. Uh, he said that he didn't have a problem with alcohol. He was not an alcoholic. He didn't struggle with the idea of quitting or giving up alcohol, uh, but he said he didn't like the person that he had become when he was drinking and even noted that in the country music industry, probably like in any industry, uh, it's normal to go out and party night after night night and you drink and and you you don't realize how much alcohol you're consuming uh, until you look back on the world that you've kind of um, surrounded yourself with. And that, that was essentially what happened uh, with Owen. So he said I he was embarrassed one night with how he had acted. He did drink too much. He was drunk at this point. He said he saw clips or heard of conversations that people had about the way he was behaving. He said he was embarrassed. Uh, so he said, I just stopped. I'm proud I did. What I realized in these moments was that it's not easy, though, for a lot of people. For me, it wasn't hard. It was just something I decided to put down. For people who have struggled and have reached out asking how I did it. It's amazing to be able to connect with people like that. So really an encouraging story. He said that after he he saw that those clips or whatever from that that night, he was embarrassed. He said, I told myself never again. I think this is the most important part of the story. He said, I realized I'm better than that. And the people I love the most deserve better. My family, my two little girls and my friends. Yeah. Oh, totally. That's powerful stuff. I mean, I mean, we look at and we've had these conversations before, and I think it's worth having and continuing them about what the Bible says about alcohol, because clearly Jesus turned water into wine. We know that. And so it's permissible on some level, but drunkenness is clearly spoken out against in Scripture. So what else What else can we add to that? Yeah, no, I think it, it is an important conversation to have because I think it's one that people are uncomfortable having because they do realize that drinking alcohol is not a sin, but that it can be and is a problem for so many people. And I personally don't drink, but I have family members and friends who do drink and, and they drink responsibly and they don't get drunk. Uh, and I think that that's fine if that's not your conviction. Uh, but for me, I know that passage in Hebrews, that says, throw off not just sin, but everything that hinders us. And I realized that alcohol could potentially be a hindrance for me. uh, So it's just better that I don't consume it. But again, uh, as you said, Dan, it's not a sin to drink alcohol. The sin comes when we lose control and we're not good stewards uh, and we succumb to drunkenness. And the the first verse really that popped into my mind in, in this story was Proverbs 21. It says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. 
I think it's a that's a pretty clear condemnation of drunkenness if you yeah. if you need to find one in scripture. There are plenty, but that one's probably one of the most poignant. Yeah, and as someone who has kind of like two phases of my life, like my unregenerate phase where I did drink a lot and and even after I was saved, I continued drinking for a few years. Um, but not it's first of all, it's hard it's difficult to control that balance. It's hard to know if you've had too much to drink sometimes. It's just it's just difficult to tell. I mean, sometimes it's obvious, but then by that point, it's too late. You know, you just keep going. Um, but it's it's just one of those things that's um, difficult to tell. And how do you balance it exactly? And so it's um, having been on both sides of that coin, I, I kind of very much land in a similar spot to where this singer is talking about it. Because it's, uh, I didn't see the upside after a while. As someone, I wasn't like an alcoholic, but I was just like, you know, you get a headache. You know, you don't feel great afterwards. Maybe you're you're acting a little bit differently than you normally would. It's there weren't a lot of positives that I could find. But then again, it's permissible in scripture, so you know, you don't want to condemn somebody for something that sh- you don't really have a right to condemn them for. But uh, it's, so it's an interesting conversation to have. Yeah. You know, I think it really comes back to self-control too. And, you know, a lot of people, they struggle with it and it can do so much damage. You know, we, we debate about a lot of things in culture, but alcohol is one of the most damaging things when it's abused, you know, that scripture sort of tells you drink and be merry. And at the same time, don't over drink. And so people really struggle. You know, I have never struggled with that balance. Like, you know, really very rarely have I ever, it's never really been an issue for me. So having a glass of wine or two, that kind of thing isn't a problem. I don't particularly obsess over or need to have it. But, you know, if you're feeling that conviction, 100%, you need to take the route that he's taken. And I think you need to be prayerful about it. It's not It's not this minor thing, right? I right. mean, it's not drinking soda. It, it could change your whole entire life if it gets out of control. And I think, again, God calls us to self-control. And that, same with food, same with anything, right? It's very easy to unleash and lose control. Yeah. And the danger zone is when what alcohol does is it dull your sense, it dulls your senses. And so then you, you just, so not only is it just like a thing you shouldn't do, it leads, it can open the door to all kinds of other sin Sin. problems that can happen as a result of it. So it's not just the one thing. It's like a whole host of issues that, that can fall after that. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, not from a Christian perspective, but just from a, culture perspective. Uh, I want to just give kudos to Jake Owen for one, quitting drinking and and particularly in an industry, the country music industry that he even acknowledged is it's pretty rampant drinking. And I, but I think it's, that's really broadly all of culture right now. Uh, because if you do drink, nobody asks you a question like, Oh, why do you drink? Uh, because it's assumed you're right, going right, to drink. Yeah. But if you're the one who doesn't drink, like I've been out to parties the or, or at pressure events. is there. Yeah. Yeah. And when I'm the one who doesn't drink, I'm the one who gets five people coming up to me and like, why aren't you having a drink? So it takes guts, I think, particularly if you're somebody like him, I don't have a big platform or anything, but he does. He has people who are watching and paying attention. And again, not he's not a Christian, not necessarily speaking about it from a Christian perspective, but good for him for being countercultural. Yeah, no, definitely. And, um, and look, it's a good, it's an issue where if you haven't thought about it, it's a good issue to take stock in right now and see where you're at on that and maybe give give a little bit of an assessment. An honest assessment about where you're at on that and is it impacting your behavior and your witness for Christ? And are you having embarrassing moments um, like he was talking about? Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say, I have them without wine. So, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's a whole different issue, Billy, talking about your embarrassing behavior. You know, we got to, we'll deal with that in a, on a different episode. <laughs> but, uh, all right. All right. Well, appreciate you bringing that one, Trey, because like we said, good conversation to have. We're going to move over to the main thing now. And a California school board president has faced death threats after passing a parental rights policy last month. She's doubling down. And Billy chatted with Sonia Shaw, who's the president of Chino Valley Unified School District's Board of Education. That's today's main thing. Now, you are the school board president out at Chino Valley Unified School District, and you have been in the headlines, um, the whole school board, and also you in particular, um, dealing with death threats and anger and, and a lot of chaos. Can you tell us what is at the root of that? Yeah, um, it actually is a little bizarre. I'll be quite honest with you. Um, it was a simple notification policy um, that certain things, you know, uh, kids who were maybe talking about suicide um, want to change the bathroom, um, you know, according to whatever gender they're identifying as or maybe changing their name, um, kids who have been bullied. There were certain things when I walked as a candidate that parents were voicing concerns about, and that's why this policy was so special, especially to Chino Valley. But also, I'm sure um, from listening to people all over California now, it seems like they are issues that we're all experiencing here in California, which um, I'm grateful that we were able to bring a model policy forward for something like that. But uh, apparently, um, we did get some heat for it. But I do want to say, even though there's heat, there is so much support from all over the nation, which I I truly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. You know, in these circumstances, you often hear of the negative reaction, right? Everybody focuses Mm -hmm. on that. But obviously, you know, you're in the seat that you're in as the school board president there. People want you there. And I would imagine there are a lot of people locally and then I know nationally that are giving you support and that are happy with this policy. Just to clarify the policy, too, you know, this is if somebody if a child wants to change their gender or go by a different pronoun, this is a policy that would notify the parents, as you were saying, within three days, I believe um, that this is something that is going on. Why do you think this is something that really is important for the constituents there in your district? I'm glad you asked, because um, when I ran, there was a big push um, just as parents. I became the president of a local grassroots advocacy um, uh, group here in Chino Valley. And when we were shut out by our own board majority not too long ago, there was things coming down from Sacramento that affected um, our families. I mean, to be quite honest, there was a lot of things that were, there were bills that affected education, but it also affected our families. And it it started to break some trust between the government and our families here um, locally and finding out all throughout California. And, you know, it's really sad when you have all these proposed bills that kind of push the family unit away and they start creating some kind of weird secret relationship with our children And we don't drop our kids off to have some weird relationship. Of course, we appreciate teachers who take the time and listen to our kids, but we would expect them always to partner with us and allow us to be the ones that, you know, do the care and the upbringing of our children. And when we see bills, you know, like um, AB665, and there's a bunch of them that I can name out that deal directly with education, um, it's just alarming. And to me, Developing this policy is sending a message back that we're sending a message to them that we're done. We're we're done with them trying to break up the family unit. Parents need to be involved. 
And to be quite honest, to assume that parents are dangerous, I think is a dangerous thing. And I think it's very vile coming from the government that they're assuming that parents right off the back are dangerous to their children. Yeah, it's it's interesting, too. You know, I think for the rest of the country, watching California sort of become a sanctuary state on this issue. And you know, there's a lot of other things happening there. Um, but but to your point, you know, parents are the parents of the of those children. Right. So you send your kid to school, your child starts making these secret decisions. And then the idea is that it might be dangerous for the parents to know about these decisions. But parents I mean, you're a parent, I'm a parent, we're responsible for everything in our kids' lives, every decision that they're making. So why do you think it is that this issue and others like it have become such a focal point and and where some people will say, well, maybe the parents don't know best? Well, I think, first of all, I don't think anybody has the right to assume. There's a due process. If the child is in danger, we are mandatory reporters. That's supposed to go through a process. You never send a child back in home if there is a... Um, uh, an assumption or an actual concern about the child's safety. So to say it off the back and just assume that I think is irresponsible. I think it's also dangerous because if that child is experiencing something like suicide, you're going to send them back home without telling their parents. What if they do something in the room upstairs in their home and the parent had no clue, but the teacher did or admin did? That is a very scary, real situation that I think we need to make sure we put safeguards in place to stop things like that. Um, I mean, it's absolutely horrifying the bills that are on table on the table in California. But I will say this, whatever comes from California usually trickles down to the rest of the nation. I don't think most people in the nation are aware just quite yet. California has a big push when we had the shutdown to put things like wellness centers in every, um, with the money that, you know, was allotted from the government to the schools to put things like wellness centers and things like that, that may have seemed like they had really good intentions. And some do have great intentions for those things, but we've seen like in LA County or even in our San Bernardino County, just recently where we lie, our County schools, they're starting to put these wellness centers into clinics, which LA County did it with Planned Parenthood. And we've already had children secretly being transitioned behind the scenes or experiencing these things, it's a very dangerous reality here, especially in California. And for me, it, it only made sense when they're putting these things in place, what can we do? What policies can we make to make sure that these things don't happen on our watch, right? Because it's none of our business to be doing those things with the children. Again, it has to go back to the parent. And if the parent is going to be involved in whatever life changes, um, lifestyle changes their children are experiencing, that's between the parent, a medical advisor or a medical professional and and the child, not with the school. I feel like the school is way overstepping the boundaries. But here's where I do say is scary. The government and especially Sacramento and our California Department of Ed has a really big push for these things. And to me, that's alarming and that's scary. And it, it I mean, it only made sense to bring a policy forward to push it back and say, no, not here, not in Chino Valley. And um I do have to say the great thing about it, it's not going to stop in Chino Valley. I have school board members from all over California that are excited even after um, what happened, you know, on Friday and we can get into that. Um, they're still excited to bring it forward. I, people have had enough. And that's what's great is I think it's not just going to be Chino that sends the message back to Sacramento that we're done. Well, yeah. And, and I know there's been an arrest made, um, you know, in the in these threats that have been sent. I mean, from from what I understand, you've received there have been death threats. Your home address was given out at one point. I, I believe there was also 
phone calls. I mean, you're very bold in how you've spoken out on this and doing your job, the job that you were sent there to do. Uh, but what has that been like to sort of navigate through? Because I would imagine it's also difficult as this is, is happening. You're absolutely 100% correct. As tough as some, as some people think that I may be on the outside, I'm still a mother. I still have a family. I still have a priority and concern to keep my children safe. Um, you know, that thir- that meeting happened on a Thursday. That Friday morning, I had received some very disturbing um, voicemails along with, uh, well, an email, and then along with a call into our district. Um, and, and it was to our secretary talking about how they were going to specifically how they were going to kill me. Um, and then the email even said some really specific things in regards to my family. And from there, it started to come trickling in with voicemails and things like that. And I'll be honest, I, I was I was sickened. I was I was shooken. Um, but I'm more of a response person. You're a Christian. So I would imagine your faith has provided peace as well in the midst of this for you. I mean, absolutely. And and it's no secret. I, I'm a Christ follower. I look to him for everything. I know that, you know, sometimes I get messages on your bringing your Christian things in the school. And I'm like, what, because I have morals and values. You're mad at me. Like, it's just weird. I don't teach religion in the school. I don't force it. Uh, You know, we're not putting Bible verses on the walls, although, you know, they're in my house. I don't force it upon people. Um, But I will say I I 100% know God provides us the protection. And if he brought me to it, he's going to bring us through it and our family. Um, I've been on my knees praying ever, I mean, even before that. So, I mean, I feel like if he brought us to this point and these things are happening, he's also going to bring the resources and he has, and our church family has stepped up. I mean, they provided an immense amount of support. So, I mean, it is no lie. Um, you know, God is the one that I look to and I mean, he tells us he's going to walk with us no matter what. Right. And, and not to fear it, to keep giving it to him. And I just keep throwing it back up to him saying, here, God, here, I'm, I don't want this, have this one. And, you know, he just, he gives us the strength and the courage and he calls us to do that. I mean, like I said, I don't want to be preachy. It's just who I am. I, I wouldn't be able to do this if I didn't have God. I could say that 100%. All right, Billy, thanks for that conversation there. Really appreciate it. Always good to see someone standing firm on their faith. Not a not a popular situation in a public school situation, right, on the school board. And then also in California, right? These are not exactly Christian strongholds. So to stand firm on the faith and principles, it's, it's great to see it. So appreciate bringing that one. We're going to have time here for one last thing on the podcast today. We're going to take a look at Mark 1, 16 through 18, which reads, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And I just, reading through that in my daily reading, fellas, and I'm always fascinated by just how quickly they're just like, yep. Sounds like a great idea. They're in the middle of their work day and they're just like, okay, I'm just going to leave everything, leave my livelihood, everything. Let's just go. Let's see what happens. So um, clearly, clearly divine intervention there, but awesome to see. Well, especially in light of the fact that so many of them struggled at moments to remember who he was, right? Or like, it just, it seemed like that was an ongoing theme for them. Like, wow, like we're suddenly mesmerized by what he's doing. Well, (laughs) you must have been mesmerized on day one when you abandoned your life to follow him, right? right? So it's just- It makes you wonder how God was already moving there in the beginning, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, for me, I think the nets always symbolize whatever it is in this life that we prioritize or that we hold on with such a white knuckle grip, like we're not going to let go of it. But God calls us to let go of those things, hold them with open hands uh, and give it to the Lord and seek after him. Uh, I think, yeah, super important reminder for all of us. Yep. And a good spot to leave it on this Friday, Junior. One day left to go. We're cruising through this week. And we will be back here, Lord willing, and that creek don't rise tomorrow with more. Don't forget to get yourself on over to cbnnews.com and faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless. God bless.